you know, Pastor, I'm sorry. Um, I missed my flight last week, right? So, yes. so, so I didn't get to challenge you with, uh, with the question before the questions, the warm-up round, right? So you I got have, more questions got after all good, that? Ooh, two good ones for you today. What you got, man? <clears throat> How many people got onto the ark before Noah? I'm going to say three because in Genesis, the Bible says that, and Noah went forth. <laughs> Noah went forth. He went, onto the, he went forth onto the boat. Right, okay. That's, man, that's a good answer. Okay. Um, Pretty good? That nice was really good. All right. Yeah, I'm, nice I, I think I can stump you on this one, though. Okay. okay. What person in the Bible had no human parents? No father, no mother. Go. Wow. I'm going to go with... I'm gonna go. <laughs> I'm gonna go with Joshua, son of Nun. <laughs> Joshua, son of Nun. Well done. Sir. We'll see you next week. All right. <laughs> N U N, son of Nun. You guys got me. Noah went forth, and Joshua, son of Nun. I like it. Well, let's go ahead and jump back into our series this weekend, uh, as we have been journeying through this series that we've titled Asking for a Friend, Asking for a Friend, Finding Answers to Life's Toughest Questions. This is a series that we wanted to do because we just sensed there was a need in our church to to ask you guys to develop a, a sermon series for us where we would be able to take the questions that are on your heart and then try to look at the Bible seriously and say, God, what do you have to say about these specific questions? So in the month of March, we asked you to submit questions via text or on a, a card that we gave you to fill out. And we saw a lot of questions come in from all over the map. And I remember getting with uh, Tony, our youth leader, and we sat in our office and he put all the questions out. We looked at all the text messages that were sent in. And then we, we did two, two, two graphs and we said, Let's give tallies to each question as to which one received the most. And we landed on five that got the most hits. I'll go ahead and share them with you now. The first one that we said was, what happens to us when we die? We talked about that last week. How does a person know for sure that they're saved? We talked about that the previous weekend. What does the Bible say about the subject of homosexuality, which we haven't talked about yet? And then we also talked about how can we hear from God, which was the first weekend that we did. And then one more, how does the Bible, what does the Bible say about relationships, dating, marriage, things like that. And so these were the questions that were on your heart. And we said, all right, that one got a tally, that one got a tally, and we ended up picking these five. We've walked through three. If you'd like to visit those previous messages, which were uh, a joy to preach and at the same time a challenge, because they are tough questions, uh, I hope they're a good resource source for you. You can go to walkchurch.com, visit our sermon archive page. And with that said, let me just go ahead and can we just clap for our media team that puts those up? Everybody that does camera and helps and serves, just want to honor you guys. Thank you so much for those who help with the screens and the slides and just do an amazing job here at our church. Well, today I want to just go ahead and jump right into the subject that we're going to be talking about this morning, which is the question, what does the Bible say about homosexuality? Now, let me just go ahead and say a couple things as we approach this subject. I just want to go ahead and set the stage for a few reasons here this morning. 
One, normally I would teach from a pulpit, I would stand and I would give us an address from God's word uh, on a normal Sunday here at Walk Church. Today looks a little bit different for us. I got my round table and my stool out because what I would like to do is have less of a, I'm gonna preach a sermon to you or I'm preach a sermon at you or I'm gonna talk about this thing and just more so I'd like to have a conversation with you. I'd like to have a talk around the table, if you would. I remember going through Tony Evans' Kingdom Man uh, study here at Walk Church, which was a amazing and Tony Evans had a great word that he called the table and he said when you come around the table it's then that you can address serious topics as a family when we look at this subject here's what I know all right I know that just the mentioning of this question some people got upset the moment that I said this is the subject we're talking about today some people in the room got uncomfortable I know that for some people in the room this question runs the risk of frustration, it, it runs the risk of confusion, it, it runs the risk of you leaving here and then you thinking things about this church that aren't true. I know that this question has the capacity to fuel in certain people in the room some ungodly pride into thinking that they know about this subject that they really don't know about. That this subject right here is a hot topic in our culture today and I believe a very sensitive one at the same time and I just want to go ahead and share with you that I realize that I am not approaching this question lightly so much so that I remember sitting across the table with Tony when we identified this one as one of the most hits and I said I'm not doing it <laughs> nope I looked up he looked at me and I said nope and I love my brother Tony, he said, you got to. One, because that's what we said. Whatever the questions that got the most hits, they could have been anything we're going to preach on. And two, because God speaks to it. And this is an issue that in our culture, the church needs to have a voice. Dr. Ed Litton um, out of Mobile, Alabama said it like this in a sermon on this topic. He said, for the church to be silent during this hour would be criminal. He says, for the church to, to just take a step back and say, hey, we don't have an opinion or a view or the Bible doesn't address it or things like that would be not true of this church. And so I believe that the, the, the things that the culture speaks the loudest about, the church should speak louder, yet should be done in a right way. I pray that you guys hear my tone this morning is not aggressive, is not something where it's agenda driven, it's simply the question that is on the agenda, right? Which I would love to escape if I could, but I believe that, I know that it's going to be a, a beneficial word this morning for somebody because it's God's word that we're talking about. And let me just go ahead and set the stage that Walk Church is a Bible teaching, Bible believing, gospel proclaiming church. So the things that we reveal from this word are things that we stand upon, things that we believe in and things that we believe are good and true for us. We talked about it in week one when we said, how can we hear God speak? <clears throat> we talked about, well, you go to his word for he has already spoken. I remember being in a conversation at a Starbucks recently. I was talking with a brother about some different things of the Bible and this guy pokes his head in and says, well, what would Jesus say? And I said, he's already said it. Let's go ahead and read it. And we had a good conversation about what Jesus has said because he has spoken. And I believe that this is an issue in the Bible that is delicate and sensitive and yet powerful and that we can address this morning. If you're in agreement with that, would you just give me an amen? amen. 
Amen. Can we, can we talk about, as a family, right? That's what we are here today. We're, we're a family of believers. And if you are far from God and you don't know Jesus, or maybe you're not yet there yet, we still want you to be here. And we want you to, to engage and we want you to listen well. And that's really what I ask of you this morning. Uh, I realize this is a difficult talk. So here's what I ask. I just ask for you to listen with an open heart. Listen with a receptive, receiving mindset. And at the same time, would you stay? Would you stay till the end? Don't check out. Don't start scrolling on your timeline. Don't, don't back out early. We've already covered the snack table. You can't hide back there. Come on, just go ahead and just, 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 just hang out around the table with me for a minute. Can we do that? I promise you that that's all that I want to do with you. And I, and, and I give you my word that I am open to more conversation. Our, our ministry team, our pastoral team would love to sit down with people and talk deeper on these issues. At the end of the day, we're mailmen from God that want to be faithful to his word. Amen? Amen. Well, let's pray and then we'll jump into the message more this morning. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to look at it today, to unfold it today, and to hear directly from your voice. God, we believe you're a God who speaks. As Jesus prayed in John 17, Lord, sanctify your church by your word, and your word is truth. We hold on to that reminder today. Lord, give me the supernatural anointing to deliver this message with grace and truth. May your spirit lead us today. Open our hearts, God, to hear your voice. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Amen. As I've approached this subject, I... I wasn't quite sure where to start, and then God spoke to me, and he said, here's where you should start. Answer the question. The question is, what does the Bible say about homosexuality? And so what I've done is I've taken this question, and I've applied it as a grid to the Bible, and I have surveyed 66 books written by over 40 authors on three different continents for a span of 1,500 years, God's written revelation to us. And I've said, God, what do you have to say about this topic? After studying his word, I found that there are six passages in the Bible that deal with the subject of homosexuality. Here's what I want to do right now. I want to read all six to you so you can hear the answer to your questions. And then what I want to do is just provide three observations Three observations for the six verses that God has revealed to us through his word. And one more time, if you got a seventh or eighth one, I'd love to hear it. These are the six that I've found on a journey to find them. All right, church family? I've been looking for them, and these are the six that I have found. We'll start from the beginning to the last one mentioned. And right now, I'm not going to give any insight to the verses. I'm just going to read all six the first time we see this subject referenced in one way or another comes from Genesis chapter 19, verse 4 through 8. Just to give you a little bit of context, this is in the first book in the Bible, Genesis, has to do with Abraham and, and his cousin Lot, and Lot is on the move, and he, he, he disconnects from Abraham, and he's living in a city called Sodom, and we pick it up here as two angels have visited Lot in his home. Lot invites the angels to hang out with them. They fellowship. How cool is it to have angels just stop by your house? You just hang out with angels. I don't want to go too deep into that subject. Y'all didn't ask about it, so I'm not going to touch it. Um, <clears throat> but they're getting ready to have a sleepover with the angels. That's pretty cool. Here's what the text says in verse 4. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, 
both young and old, all the people to the last man, surrounded the house. They called to Lot. Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at, at the entrance. He shut the door after him and said, I, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly, he says. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. We believe that this is the first mention of the subject of homosexuality as these men have approached this house and have called Lot to, to bring out these angelic men and said, we would like to know them. Now, I know that the word know is not just meaning to sexual activity. However, it's always related to sexual activity in the Old Testament references as well as, as instance, Adam knew his wife. And it was, it was a phrase that meant we know them intimately, passionately, everything about the person, even sexually. And they say, bring those men out so we can know them that way. And here's also why we can know that they're referencing that because of Lot's response. He says, hey, take my daughters. How serious was this? He goes, I'd rather offer up my daughters. They haven't known anybody like that. You can take them. Just don't touch these guys. This was a deep issue. There's a lot of dysfunction going on. That's all I'm going to say about those verses right there. The next time we see the subject mentioned is in the book of Leviticus, chapter 18, verse 22. Leviticus coming right after these books of Genesis and Exodus, we see the Levitical law given by a man named Moses. Moses has a very unique testimony. I would encourage you to read the book of Exodus to learn more about Moses. But God speaks to Moses on the Mount Sinai and gives him the law that's supposed to be good for the people to abide by. And it's called the Levitical law. And here's what we see in Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22. He says, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. A couple chapters later, Leviticus 20, verse 13 says, if a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. Some very deep passages here that definitely deserve treatment in their context. We're not going to go there yet. Remember, we're just reading the passages that are in the Bible. The next time we see the topic mentioned is jumping now ahead to the New Testament in what we would say Paul's most important letter in the Bible, the book of Romans, chapter 1. We'll read 24 through 27 and also reference verse 32. Romans chapter 1 says it like this, therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, he says, God gave them up to a dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passions for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Jumping ahead to verse 32. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. We just read that in Leviticus. Right? It says they not only do these things, but, but they give approval to those who practice them. 
Romans chapter 1, verse 24 through 27, and then additioning verse 32. From there, we jump ahead to Paul's letter to a church now. Paul is writing to a local church in the city of Corinth, much like Walk Church in the city of Las Vegas. And here's his instruction to the Corinthians. Here's what he says. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he adds this line. He says, and such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God, that's good news to the believer this morning. That's good news to churches this morning. I'm going to say my Lord with you, brother. My Lord. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8 through 11 is another reference, actually the fifth reference of this subject in the Bible. Paul writes to his young pastoral church planting son in the faith. And he says, now we know that the law is good. We talked about the law. It's good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted, writes the Apostle Paul. The last reference to this subject is found in the book of Jude. Jude rarely gets any mention, but I'm glad we're able to turn to Jude here today. Jude was a brother. Jude was a disciple. Some would say Jude was a pastor. Some believe that Jude was one of Jesus's brothers. Jude has a book in the Bible that's one chapter long. So now we look to Jude, verse 7. And he, he, he speaks back to what our first verse said. He writes, Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. I look at these six verses and I lay them out before me. As a pastor and preacher of God's word, this is my task, to rightly interpret the Bible in light of its context and the entire counsel of God's word. It's a, it's a biblical word called exegesis. It's where you look at a passage of scripture in its context and what all the rest of the Bible says. You exegete a text. There's a poor way to study the Bible, which is called eisegesis. It's where you isolate a verse, put it in your pocket, and then pull it out whenever you want to hurt somebody with it, all right? People do do that, and they've done that with this subject. The topic of homosexuality and any topic in the Bible should always be addressed in light of all the other scriptures in the right context with Christ in mind. And that's what we want to do here today with this subject. I've read all six to you. If you got it, say, I got it. Okay, you can revisit this message. If you want a copy of my notes, I can send them to you. I hope that you see these verses, revisit them, look at them, study them. But now in light of them, I've prayed on this message and said, all right, God, what are some things in the next few minutes? We don't have a, a lot of time, 
which is why I want to open the door for more conversation if you like that at some point. Um, in the next few minutes that we do have, what are some observations that we see through these passages? I want to give us three observations this morning. I would encourage you to maybe write these down and maybe they would be helpful for you today. The first observation that I see when I read all six passages is that the practice of homosexuality is outside of God's divine design. Outside of God's divine design. And what I believe that the Bible teaches is that anything outside of God's divine design design is what we would call this three-letter S word, sin. Sin. Let me go ahead and show you a couple verses and why sin should be taken seriously. We see these back-to-back in the book of Romans. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. Why is sin serious, friends? Sin will kill you. Sin is a real issue in the scriptures that we shouldn't take lightly. The wages of sin, basically, it, does anybody like payday? Does anybody like working in, you know, the day they get paid? But we, don't, we wouldn't like payday with God because we've, we, we've, we got wages coming to us and it's death. We don't want to cash that check because it says sin on it. Your works and your sin have, have created wages. Your debt is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord who paid for our sin. He died our death. Romans 3.23 says that, hey, everybody in the room is sinful, for all have sinned. Everybody say all. all. For all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. That's just reality. If we can accept that, if we can receive this reality, we might get somewhere today. I've had to come to the conclusion, I'm sinful. I'm sinful. I've, I've missed God's divine design in my life. Whenever I miss God's divine design, I Sin. I want to give you a right definition for sin. I think that there's a, there's a miss in the church today and definitely in culture today on what sin actually is. Let me give you a, a definition for the word sin. The word sin in the Hebrew is the word shataha. In the Greek, it's the word hamartia. Both times it means simply this, to miss the mark. The thing that's important, it's an archery word. It's I'm aiming at a, a bold, a target. And I miss it. And, and here, why it's serious is because this isn't just a target that Haydn made. This is a target that God made. And so we have God's divine design laid out for us in the Bible. Right? And he says, this is my divine design. Every time you miss my design, you miss me. I am the intelligent designer I am the good, good father. I am the one who knows more than you, he says, right? God says, my ways are not your ways. That's a good thing. God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. That's a good thing. So he says that we should align with his ways and we should align with his thoughts. And so we have those revealed to us in the Bible and then we call this God's divine design. Um, he calls us to, to hit that bullseye every time. The bullseye is God's standard. The bullseye is God's standard. Anything apart from God's standard, even if it's just a little bit off, is sin. This doesn't just have to do with sexual ethics. This has to do with stealing. This has to do with murder. This has to do with lying. God's divine design is for all these things to look a specific way. And the moment we get outside of the circle, you guys tracking with me? 
We get a little bit outside. We might, we might not be on a complete other radar, but we just get outside the line a little bit. That's what God would call sin. And so this message today is not just for a select few people that may be dealing with same-sex attraction or homosexuality. This, this, this word today is for me. This word is for us, brothers and sisters, that whatever your miss is, because we've all missed it, we need to realign with the God's divine design. I want to talk about God's divine design just for a few minutes here out of his word. He has given us a design. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 28, part A, it says that, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let me just stop right there and say, how cool is that? Some people say, where's Jesus in the Bible? He's right there in the hour. He's right there in the us. Who is God talking to? God the Father says, let us make man in our image. That's really neat. The Holy Spirit's like, let's do it. The Trinity together in unity, us, right there in Genesis 1. He says, and let them have dominion over the fish of the, the sea and over the birds of the heavens and the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. This is the first creation account. This is the first time we see God's divine design. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. We are imagers today of God himself. That's good news. Male and he created female. He created them and God blessed them. I love that the blessing of God in the beginning of creation rests on this male and this female. We lear later learn their name Adam and Eve. Genesis chapter 2 takes us now deeper into the, the creation story of God's divine design. Let's look at it right here. Genesis 2, 23 through 25. Then the man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woe man because he was like, whoa, man. Eve, I've been looking for you. He was like, whoa. I, I said I needed to help her, but whoa. She was taken out of man. God did the first surgery. He put Adam to sleep. God being the great physician that he is, he grabbed a, a, a rib from Adam and he created a woe man and she was beautiful and Adam said at last this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh she shall be called woman therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall be called one flesh and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed I love that verse they were naked and not ashamed it's gospel Verses in the Bible, Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God's divine design. This is God's divine design for marriage. This is the first ever definition of marriage that we see in the Bible. This is the first ever definition of marriage in life. God, the creator of the universe, has established a holy covenant called marriage between one man and one woman. And he reveals that to us in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. John Piper, author, scholar, pastor, says it like this. He says, sexuality is God's idea. We should learn from God what it is. It's a man and a woman created in beautifully complementary ways so that they form one flesh. And to try to do it any other way, he would say is a distortion, is a corruption, it's a dysfunction of the way God made it. Now, let me go ahead and say one thing here. I know that when I read these things, that, that's hard things to understand. 
There's certain people in the room that that may may not make total sense. And I want to be sensitive to that. Because there's a whole lot of other verses that I could share toward people in the room that feel like they got this figured out. And they would say, man, I don't like that verse either. But when we read Genesis chapter 1 and 2, I think we'd be hard-pressed to get anything else other than marriage being between one man and one woman. And we want to be as simple and true to the text as we can. Kevin D. Young has written an awesome book called What Does the Bible Really Teach About Homosexuality? We're going to offer this book for sale today for $5 at our merch table. It's not regularly that price, but we just want to make this accessible. If you want it and you don't have it, we want to bless you with it, all right? Just come up here and grab mine right here. I'd love to give this book to you because he does a much better job in a more exhaustive way answers your question. What does the Bible teach about homosexuality? And one of the things he says in the book is this. He says, it's hard not to conclude from a straightforward reading of Genesis 1 and 2 that the divine design for sexual intimacy is not any combination of persons or even any type of two persons coming together, but one man becoming flesh with one woman. I think what he's getting at, he's saying, let's just be logical here. We're asking the Bible a question. As we look at God's divine design, how could you get anything else? We just see this here in the scripture. Now, let me me go ahead and say one thing. There have been objections to this teaching. One of the objections is this. Well, Jesus doesn't hold firm to that, and it's a lie. Because as we turn to Matthew chapter 19, verse 4 through 6, Jesus goes ahead and affirms the Genesis account. Jesus is now asked about the subject of marriage. He's asked about the subject of divorce, and here's what Jesus says. Notice how we put it in red. For those who like to read the Bible in red, it was never written in red. It's not a big deal, but in case that's your preference, red letter. Amen? He answered, have you not read? Jesus saying those words right there affirms scripture. Does that make sense? Jesus had this expectation that we should study the left side of our book. That our appetite for God's word should be both Old Testament and New Testament together and and Christ is in the middle holding them both together. Jesus told the Pharisees, he said, "I'm, I'm a shadow of everything you read. I was right there. I was right there walking with you. Moses talks about me. Creation talks about me. Us, I was there. Jesus is talking about these things. And he says, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. And then what he says is, so they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let man not separate. Here's why this is a big deal in our culture today, church family. Just hear my heart right here. Jesus himself says that we don't have business changing it. Jesus himself said that man shouldn't get in the way of what God has given us with his divine design. Because anything outside of his divine design is sin and anything outside of his divine design is not good. As God revealed his creation account, what did he say after everything he created? It's good. It's good. The the one time God said that's really good is when he created marriage. In a complementary role, the husband had a role, the wife, woman had a role, and God said that's really good. That's what God said. 
And Jesus affirms that in Matthew 19, verse 4 through 6. Now, Jesus alone doesn't affirm this. We have other inspired writers of the Bible, like the Apostle Paul, who wrote to the Ephesian church. If you stick around long enough, as we exposit through Ephesians, you'll get to this verse. But Ephesians 5, verse 31 through 32, now Paul says these words to the Ephesian church. He says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Does that sound familiar? Is he just quoting the Genesis account? And the two shall become one flesh. Now, maybe you would say, that sounds mysterious. So would Paul. He says, this mystery is profound. And then he goes on to say this important verse. And he says, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Now, now let me go back to our original reality. This observation that we pulled from the text. Observation number one. The practice of homosexuality is outside of God's divine design. Here's why it's important to understand that. Because God's divine design is not just for Genesis, it's also for the gospel. Go back to that Ephesians 5 verse that we were just looking at. The only time God has given a parallel to the gospel message is when he likens it to marriage. As we look at Ephesians 5, the verses we just read, we see that Paul says, this mystery is profound. And he goes to the next verse and he says this. I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. So if we begin messing with marriage, church family, we begin messing with the gospel. Jesus says that this is my bride, my, my wife. This is a gospel issue. Whenever my wife and I do marriage counseling, we don't jump straight to how do you fight fair or this is how, we say this is a gospel thing. If you don't understand Jesus as the husband, and, and you don't understand the church as the bride of Christ. You won't understand marriage. And in, and in homosexual practice, you see something different from God's divine design for marriage, which has gospel implications, and it's a big deal, church. And I wouldn't be doing my job well if I didn't say those things to you. So I stand with Jesus in Matthew 19, and I say that, friends, we shouldn't change it. It does not make it any easier for the person who has same-sex attraction. I'm not saying that it will, but I'm saying that it does not give it the right to change it. And that's what we see here in this first observation. As I've studied all six observations, we see that I can't find a place where this type of practice is in God's divine design. That's what I submit to you today. Let me give you the, the, the next observation. We're gonna move quick here today. The practice of homosexuality is not exclusive to any other sin. Hear me when I say this, church family. We are not isolating the, the, the topic of homosexuality from the reality that every time it's mentioned, it's always sandwiched into between a whole bunch of other stuff. So whenever I hear the person make the argument and they go straight for this thing, I want to say, have you read the other verses around it? That's talking about you. I want us to be careful when we, when we realize it's not part of God's divine design, but there's a whole lot of other stuff too that we just read about that's not. And it's talking about us. It's talking about you. It's talking about me. The, the same counsel that we would give to the same-sex couple is the same counsel we give to the heterosexual couple living in sin. And that should never change. We see this here. John Piper says it again. He, he writes well on this issue. He says, in our fallen world, we all struggle with inclinations to express our sexuality in sinful ways. It's the truth. Let me just go ahead and say that. Let me pivot off that. As you look at the Leviticus account, 
We, we talked about it, right? It says, it says, a male should not lie with a male as with a female. The next verse says, nor shall a person lie with an animal. The same way it should lie with a female. Nor shall it lie with a child. This, the, the, the topic is in line with a whole lot of other stuff, right? It's in the same context of nor shall a person cut their beard a certain way. We're all messed up in the room if we, if we abide by that, right? Nor should you wear a shirt that has two different types of cotton. Does anybody, did anybody fail that one this morning? I know I, I got a few different cottons on, right? I'm, 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 I'm sinful by the law. I praise God that I, I, I believe in a Savior that fulfilled the law Amen. in us and through us. And so if you just isolate the Leviticus passages and say that type of lifestyle is an abomination, you're talking about yourself too is all that I'm saying. Therefore, church family, be sensitive in these passages. Be careful when you talk about these verses and isolate them. A lot of things are an abomination to the Lord. A, a, a difference to God. And we see these subjects talked about in community. We see it in 1 Corinthians 6, in 1 Timothy, in the book of Jude, that whenever the subject's mentioned, it's always followed by other sins, other distortions of God's divine design. And I do not want us to miss that, that the word exclusive means elite. Exclusive means set apart from the rest. Hear me when I say this observation. The practice of homosexuality is not elite from other sins. Does that make sense? It's not set apart. It's not set apart from the heterosexual couple that's living together in sin. There is no separate, there's no difference in God's view. Sin is sin. But why do in our culture and even in the church, Lord, forgive us for placing focus on things that, are, that, are, that don't need to be focused on in light of other things, right? We have totally, we have totally missed it in this area, church. And, 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 and I, I believe that the, ch the church is guilty for making the practice of homosexuality exclusive toward other sin, and it should never be. It is always packaged in with other things that need the gospel. Let me give you the, the third observation this morning, then we'll be done today. So the first one was the practice of homosexuality is simply that it's not a part of God's divine design. That's not exclusive. But let me give you the third one, friends. The third one is that there is hope. Hear me, church. Everybody look at me. Look at me. There is hope for the person practicing homosexuality. Yeah. If you don't see this as an issue that there is hope for, you are wrong. There is, there is hope. Now, notice, I didn't say that there's a cure. I didn't say that you just wave a magic wand. But there is hope for the person that's at church today or is that watching this online that is dealing with same-sex attraction and living in a practice of homosexuality. Let me go ahead and show it to you, and we'll go ahead and finish with this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 9 through 11. We'll read this again. Paul says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Unrighteous goes for all of us today, apart from Christ. And then he says these words, Do not be deceived. I'll tell you what. One of the things I hate in life is being deceived. Man, I was so upset last night. I got to go to the Golden Knights hockey game. <laughs> Friend of mine blessed me with a ticket. We're in the double overtime. We've been there for five hours, cheering our heads off. We score the goal. Buzzer goes off. People, pandemonium. And then 10 seconds later, 
No goal. I had my Facebook post. I said, we won, we won. I, I didn't even know how to revisit. I just was, I was deceived, brothers. The, the referees, this, the, the, the screen went off and said, winner, winner, playoffs. I'm giving people high fives. I don't know. Hugs. Come on, brother. Yeah. I'm not even a hockey fan, but now I am. I'm like telling people how the sport should go and why do you do that, you know? And, and then I realized I was deceived. I was so upset. And then a couple minutes later, the Sharks scored a goal. That, that, I wasn't deceived. I was upset. And everybody walked out sad. My, my friends, I don't, I don't want you to walk out of here sad because you're deceived. You, you, you could be deceived here today. Deceived mean meaning thinking that something actually happened that didn't. That's what Paul says here. Now mind you, he's not writing to the atheist club. He's not writing to a, 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 a group of homosexual people. He's writing to a church. A local church that is centered around the gospel. He's writing to those people. Like Paul would have sent the letter and Apollos would have stood up in his excellent voice and he would have said, the letter from Paul to the church. Do not be deceived. Is everybody listening to that? And then what he goes on to say is, neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters. I was once an idolater with sports. Sexually immoral too nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. See how it's right there in the middle? It's not exclusive. Nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of y'all might be in the room of swindler, and you don't even know what that means. I don't either. <laughs> but, but it's in there, all right? That's, Swindle is, 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 is apart from God's divine design. It's your homework to look it up, all right? What's a, what's a reviler? A reviler is someone who speaks an abusive language. A swindler is somebody who cheats. Somebody who's always just trying to get over, right? Sometimes we're swindling through the road. We're trying to cut people off and stuff. You're, you're, you don't deceive yourself like God doesn't see that. Preaching to myself, hiding. Such were some of you. Let me get ready to close here. Let me land this plane. You know where the gospel is in these verses? It's in the word were. It's in the word were. Let me highlight that word. In such were. Everybody say were. Such were some of you. And he goes on to say this right here. He says, you've been washed. You've been sanctified. Oh, man, you've been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. By the Spirit of our God. The Apostle Paul's not writing this all upset and making a big stink about homosexuality. He's making a big stink about the gospel. He's saying if you really want to find your identity, don't find it in sexual ethics. Don't find it in sports. Don't find it in your partner. Don't find it in the music at your church. Don't find it in the chair that you're sitting on. Find it in Christ. Because here's the the only one that could wash you, the only one that can justify you before God the Father, the only person that can justify a person who practiced homosexuality for the majority of their life, and God to say, that person right there is mine, is Jesus Christ. Focus on Christ, friends. If I was at the table with you, I'd say, you're making it a big issue about something that's secondary. The primary issue is Christ. There's, there's hope. Friends, there's hope for that person. I, I know people. 
I have friends, you hear me? I got friends that practice homosexual lifestyles. I know people that live in this lifestyle, and I love them. We're talking about people here. Can a person come to walk church and live a practice of this lifestyle? Can they come? Absolutely, you can come. We want you to come. And yet at the same time, we want to share God's best with you, which is his divine design. I I don't want to do anything outside of his design. I don't. The minute I start moving out of God's divine design, someone push me back in the design. Sometimes sometimes I need need a little nudge. Sometimes I need you just to wrap your arm around me and say, hey, hey, Hyden, that's that's not the design. I was sharing with a brother last night who hasn't came to church for a long time. And I share with him Proverbs 19, which says, he who isolates himself seeks his own judgment and is outside of the, the God's design. And I was just talking to him about showing up, being in community. He said, man, I've just been feeling off because I haven't been coming. And I told him, man, that's not God's divine design. God created you to be in community. God's design, friends is what we want to get closest to. And so as I close here, and our worship team is going to lead us in a song of response and singing, I I point our attention once more to 1 Corinthians 6, where, where he says, and such were some of you. If we could take a look at the church in the city of Corinth, we would see people that once lived a lifestyle of homosexuality and that, want, that, that may even till that day struggle with the topic. I want to present uh, one more book to you. This, this is a book that I've, I've found to be helpful. It's a, a small book. It's 88 pages. It's called, Is God Anti-Gay? All right? And he, here's what is going on in this book. It's wrote, written by a guy named Sam Ellerby. Sam Ellerby is a, is a pastor. He is a preacher. He is a believer and lover of God's word. And he is also a man who lives with same-sex attraction. He doesn't hide from it. He, he says, that's who I am. That's I, I, I understand that that's how I, my sexual preference, it is. But he would tell you in this book that that's not what defines me. What defines me is Christ. And so because of that, he would say, I've chosen to deny my flesh. Is that different for anybody else? Let me show it to you in Luke 9, verse 23. This will be the last verse that, that I want to highlight. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Jesus says this. Let's go ahead and say it all together. Ready? One, two, three. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Why do you think you're different from anybody else? Every day I got to take my cross up. And every day I got to say, I'm not following myself. Myself has been crucified. I'm not called to celebrate myself. I'm called to crucify myself and follow Christ. Now, for some people, that's going to look like denying yourself when it comes to sexual ethics. I remember ministering to a brother who said, Hiding, I'm a thief. Everywhere I go, I want to steal stuff. I told him, deny yourself, man. Don't be going up in my wallet when I turn my head. He goes, I know it's, but I feel like I was born that way. I said, man, you got that, but the gospel calls you to something different. That's what Judas needed to follow. Judas was a thief. If he would have listened to Jesus' sermon in Luke 9, Judas would have kept his hand out of the money bag. Peter, right on his last day, denies Christ. He needed to deny himself. Right? 
I'm scared for my life. Deny yourself. Follow me. Jesus says, whoever wants to follow me, this is your call. It's not an easy call. Since when has picking up your cross been easy? The cross is not a symbol on jewelry. The cross is a death sentence. I can't get away from it. Let's apply the gospel to this question, friends, and treat people the way Jesus has called us to treat people. Love one another as I have loved you. Be patient with people. Push people to Christ. Push people to repentance, but also do that with patience and look at them in light of your own sin and say, hey, look, I'm not trying to say I'm better than you. I'm trying to say I'm just in the same boat with you and I need Jesus just like you. Help me follow him too, brother. That's where you want to go with people. That's where you want to go with people. So if you're in the room today, friend, if you're in the room today, friend, hear me. I don't want you to feel outcast. I don't want you to feel exclusive. I want you to feel right here at, at, at Walk Church like you can, you can be here, you can struggle here, you can grow here, you can repent here, and you can get to know Jesus here and allow him to speak to you. And, and, and conform you to his divine design even if it hurts that's my observation is that this practice isn't God's divine design but yet it's not exclusive to other sins either and there's hope for you today Father thank you